Foreign exchange trading carries a high level of risk that may not be suitable for all investors. Before you decide to trade foreign exchange, carefully consider your investment objectives, experience level, and risk tolerance. You could lose all of your initial investment. Educate yourself on the risks associated with foreign exchange trading and seek advice from an independent advisor if you have any questions. All information is solely for educational and entertainment purposes and is not trading or investment advice. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Hello, this is Hugh Kimura, and welcome to the Trading Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by TradingHeroes.com. This is the podcast where I interview professional traders and find out how they overcame their roadblocks, what have been their keys to success, and the advice that they have for aspiring traders. All right, so we're on episode number 12, and in this episode, I interview Chris Capri, a professional trader and educator who was born in the U.S. but is now living abroad. He has a really interesting story, and he originally wanted to be a full-time yoga instructor, but a chance encounter introduced him to trading, and he never looked back. In this episode, you'll find out how he trades, what his most successful student is like, and the exciting trading projects that he's currently working on. So I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot. Hi, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess I want to get into your background a little bit. Um, I read on your website that you first discovered uh, trading while you were studying yoga. How did you first learn about trading and what were, what attracted you to it so much? Well, I was teaching uh, yoga back in 2000 in Southern California, San Diego and Coronado. And I think I just came to the realization that you know I wasn't going to be able to achieve some of the things I wanted to do financially and do some of the projects through the you know the economics of yoga. Mm-hmm. And so I started getting involved in investing and trading, particularly with the equities markets. And but it, you know I was kind of bored with it. You can only make money so many hours of the day. <laughs> and I had a client I was working with named Philip who was a doctor, retired at 40, a decamillionaire, great guy, and we became friends. He had cancer, uh, he had terminal cancer, and he just wanted to do yoga to make his body feel better. And So uh, one day he comes to me, I'm at his house, and he uh, hands me this book, and he says, you know, I have this strange intuition, I just read this, but he goes, I have this intuition that you should read this and you should do this. And I said, what's it about? He said, it's a book on currency trading. Hmm. And so I said, well, I like teaching yoga. And he said, he said, no, 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 you're, you're too smart. You're too talented. You're too intelligent. And he's like, you can't be in pajamas the rest of your life. So, you, <laughs> you know, just try this and check this out. I have, I have a strange feeling about it. <clears throat> and that was it. I read the book. And so you got to remember, this is back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't, you know, I mean, retail had just come online a few years ago. There wasn't much on the internet at that time, you know, in terms of educational sites. So I literally walked into a Borders, you know, checked out Futures Magazine, found this article on currency trading, mm-hmm. opened up a demo account the next day, and within a month later, I'd open up a live account with 3000 and never looked back. Wow, that's awesome. So your site says that you began trading in 2002, and then by 2004, you, gen- you joined FXCM. Uh, were you hired as a trader? I started Forex in 2000 and end of 2001, early 2002. I was trading equities before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was trading live from that moment on. And in a period of about six months, I built it up to about 83,000. Wow. And um, by 2004, I got gotten a job with FXCM. I was hired on as a broker. Mm-hmm. And so um, they you know, flew me out to Wall Street. They paid for my travel expenses. They paid for my room and board. 
full salary from day one. And uh, that was that. Oh, very cool. So everything you learned about trading basically was on your own time. And did they have a, a training program for traders or how did that work? They, they had a training program for brokers basically to work on the floor to be a broker. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, it's quite a comprehensive program. It's two weeks of just, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day just training with them. And so, but all of my trading experience was self-taught. You know, mm -hmm. it was just me making trades in the market, cutting my teeth in the market, you know, learning, making mistakes, you know, some big ones, making some really, you know, huge uh, advances or progress in my trading. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was all individual and it was all just me tackling the market. I felt like I had at least to some extent enough resources and enough mental capital to be able to, you know, digest it and understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, part of it was also my first experience with it. You know, when I turned on the platform, keep in mind there was very few websites. I had I'd only read one article on currency trading before I even turned on the platform. When I turned on the platform and the charts popped up, everything just made sense. You know, I understood mm -hmm. the terms. Like I, I could tell, like even though I had no training in finance, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a dollar yen pair. This is pound dollar. That's the bid ask spread. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, I you know, and I was looking at the charts. I'm like, okay, this is a general uptrend or downtrend. You know, I was able to just kind of intuit the the experience felt familiar to me in mm -hmm. some strange way. Wow. And so, you know, to me it was it was more of a recognition that this seems familiar and that I can do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's particularly amazing because I remember I was in LA at the time and um, I kind of got involved in Forex trading a little bit, but it was still a deal where you had to go into an office and you had to talk to the girl behind the desk and she would call in the trade and you'd have to print out a ticket. So it was <laughs> still very, you know, uh, manual and... Yeah, there wasn't too much online. It was a completely different world back then, you mm -hmm. know. And just even the amount of information that's online and available now as compared to 12 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's kind of shocking. You know, there's thousands of websites on Forex now. Back then there was, you know, less than a dozen. Mm -hmm. And you only had, you know, a couple, you know, U.S. brokers out there at that time. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I think some people don't appreciate what the very – beginnings of current retail currency trading were like you know for people it, you know it's a very different world than what's available now yeah that's a good point so i guess when you're at fxcm as a broker uh, and you're doing so well at trading um that naturally led you to want to go out and trade so i guess you went to the JF, jnf hedge fund is that correct mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things i had to do with fxcm is i had to give also presentations you know they felt like i could give classes, you know, I was teaching classes both internally to employees and also externally to clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they said, you know, we have certain, you know, shows and expos and things like that. And we want you to go to some of these. So I started going to them and I, you know, I would meet some people from the industry. And so I met them a while back, you know, one of the expos and I just kind of, you know, took their card and that was it, you know, mm -hmm. but then later on, you know, as I started to get into about year two, you know, with FXCM, I said, well, you know, maybe I do want to kind of go with a fund and see what this is about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Very cool. And what were some of the biggest lessons you learned for trading well, trading with that hedge fund? Two biggest lessons I'd have to say is uh, how important it is to test and really just kind of look at the data of things. You know, mm -hmm. they did a lot of testing. We had a doctor who had a, like a 30-year practice as an ophthalmologist, and he left that to become a trader with our fund. 
And so he trained with us, but he also had incredible, of course, being a doctor, incredible analytical skills. And so he was heading up the research department. And some of the research that you know he shared out of that was quite powerful and quite inf- interesting. And so with that kind of information, it showed me the power of research mm-hmm. and it showed me the power of testing things you know, and taking an analytical approach to certain aspects of the market. And the other thing I learned from it is just to trust our skill set and to try and approach trading from more of a, a pre-conscious level, which is if you've had enough screen time and you've you know had logged hundreds if not thousands of hours behind the charts, mm-hmm. your central nervous system and brain has stored enough patterns and price movements in there to, as a whole, generally recognize what the most likely direction is in the future, mm-hmm. as a whole. And so, you know, this gets stored in a database. And so when you look at a chart, as long as you don't engage that prefrontal cortex, that part that tends to overanalyze, then your general brain, as it's on its own, before you know you even understand on a conscious level, will take a look at what's on the chart, match it up with all the patterns that it has stored in the memory banks, and then it'll say, hey, you know what, this generally matches this pattern, it's more likely going to go up from here. Mm-hmm. And so he tried, the, the head tried to demonstrate that, the, the head of train tried to demonstrate that through a class where we were exposed to 20 charts and he said, okay, here you go, here's the chart, you get two minutes to analyze it and then you have to write next direction, bullish or bearish from the next candle on. Mm-hmm. And so we'd had two minutes, we'd write our answers down and I scroll like about a 60% on that. And then he goes, okay, got 20 more charts for you, and you have three seconds to analyze. And so three seconds, you know, when you look at it, that's not long. Like the moment it clicks up on there, you're looking at it, and then it's gone before you even know it. Mm-hmm. Over 90% of us actually improved our accuracy levels, and mine went up to 90%. Wow. And he was trying to communicate a huge point of how he looks at charts, which is just – he just takes a glance. He lets the, he lets the, the database – you know, get it lets the brain do its work, which mm-hmm. actually performs far better when done on a subconscious or unconscious level or preconscious than it does on a thinking or analytical level. Mm-hmm. And so he just said, you know, look, you just take glances at the chart, you go with your gut, not just gut feel, but your overall feeling, and at that point, you trust that and look for opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge, you know, that was a huge lesson for me at that point because, at, you know, up to that point, I had similar experiences of that and I was doing this kind of from the very beginning like the first time I was ever trading I was doing that in the sense of I would have lay out four charts I looked at the four majors these are the only pairs I traded euro dollar pound dollar dollar swiss dollar yen mm-hmm. and I would look at all four charts and right you know about an hour and a half before London open I would say which one you know looks to me like the best chart feels like the best chart and I would kind of tune into that and then I would say okay and then now look for my opportunity so it was it was a kind of a wake up call and a confirmation to me that you know the part that I thought was the most powerful part of my uh, you know my mind to actually make decisions wasn't, mm-hmm. and so I actually need to kind of take a different approach. So that was a huge impact upon me. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think we uh, I think a lot of times we discount our intuition, but if you have like you said, if you have put in the screen time, I think it it does make a difference. Yeah, and there's a great book on this actually that just recently came out by a former Wall Street trader who ended up going back to school and becoming a neuroscientist. Huh. It's called The Hour Between the Dog and the Wolf, and he talks about intuition and gut feelings and he talks about actually, you know, things that 
you know, are actually very common in yoga. He talks about the enteric nervous system, which is the nervous system that's actually around your visceral organs. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how that actually has more neurons than are in your spinal cord. So, you know, something that has more neurons and sends a lot of information up and down, you know, to your brain and then your brain sends it back, you know, we discount that. But there is a real thing called a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And ironically, it's not just in the gut. It's all over our body. So, Uh. You know, it's it's a fascinating book and a great read. You know, and since I've you know studied neuroscience in college, for me it was just a, it was just a an excellent and informative read. Oh, okay, interesting. Thanks for the tip. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to that book so you guys can check it out. Um, so you had a lot of early success, uh, but was there ever a point where you wanted to give up? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's natural for anybody mm-hmm. um, to have doubts about that the the key is what happens after those doubts mm-hmm. you know do you let those doubts define you do you let the emotional experience around those doubts define your actions and decisions from there on out or do you say you know look this is what i'm doing mm-hmm. you know i've hit an obstacle i've obviously hit a wall i've you know had some losses you know and so does your mind at that point look at the problems or does it look at the solutions mm-hmm. And so, you know, my in my mind, from the moment that I opened that broker's chart, as I said, there was that recognition that, hey, this looks familiar and you should do this. Mm-hmm. That was always there. And so, you know, I've kind of had a life of experiencing kind of, you know, those knockdowns from the very beginning in my early life. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn from a very early age that you just get back up mm-hmm. and you fight back again. And to me, that helped you know, create a resilience so that when I did run into those obstacles, I started looking at solutions and not the problems. I started saying, okay, what can I do to fix this? How do I solve this? You know, I'm doing this. I'm mm-hmm. doing this and, you know, there is no quit. Yeah, there's there's no alternative, right? That's awesome. Um, so I guess that's a good segue into my next question. How, who, who have been your biggest trading heroes or just life heroes in general? Who's inspired you? Who's mentored you? Well, I didn't have anybody in trading that mm-hmm. mentored me per se. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who, as traders, that have inspired me the most are dead. So Jesse Livermore <laughs> and okay. uh, you know Richard Wyckoff. Uh-huh. As you know, these are people who kind of, in some sense, had you know Jesse Livermore had a similar background. You know, he had no training in finance or economics. Mm-hmm. Came from a really small town, and he just thrust himself into the experience of it. And you know, he went from his first trade being the $5 that he saved up to making $100 million and then lost it all and then made it all again and then lost a bunch of it again. And, you know, he had, he had a wild ride. And, but some of the, you know, his story, his experiences, his uh, confidence in himself, mm-hmm. his trusting of his intuition and how he approached the markets, you know, when he was really on, he was quite insightful and he had a lot of wisdom about the markets. And so, you know, I think his life and his story, although tragic, also offers a tremendous amount of wisdom and insight into what the markets are about and, you know, one way that you can approach the markets. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was, uh, and, and he was just a pure price action trader. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, he was kind of a price action and order flow trader. So, you know, that, to me, you know, his story is probably the most interesting and the most inspiring. Ah, oh, very cool. Yeah, everybody talks about um, reminiscences of a stock operator, but actually, I think if you read 
The Amazing Life of J- Jesse Livermore. That's actually a mm-hmm. better book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and a world's greatest stock trader too. So, mm-hmm. which is kind of a different take on it, you know. And so, I've read all of them, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just to the the man obviously had an insight into the markets, and so if you can tap into that and digest that and make that a part of you know your trading experience now, mm-hmm. then I think everybody can gain from that. You know, I mean, keep in mind, this guy was short the market well before both of the big, great, you know, before the Great Recession, before the Great Crash in the early 1900s. He was short it. He was so heavily short that he got a call from the President of the United States asking him, <laughs> please stop shorting the market. Yeah. You're affecting our national economy. Mm-hmm. That's somebody, you know, who's gone from nothing to like, being incredibly influential just through trading. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, it's an amazing story. It's it's just quite extraordinary, his life and the things he went through. So definitely all of them are fascinating reads, especially the one you pointed out. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll put some <clears throat> links to those books also. So that kind of gets me into uh, how do you trade? So I first, thought, I first found out about your site because of your material on Ichimoku trading. Mm-hmm. And it's not a widely taught topic, at least here in the U.S. So... Why do you think Ichimoku and price action works well for you? Well, I've always been trading price action from the very beginning. It was the first thing I've been trading. It's the one thing I've been trading all the way through. Mm-hmm. In terms of Ichimoku, if you understand Ichimoku theory, you know, a lot of people look at Ichimoku as, you know, the things that they see on the chart. But Gohichu Asada and, you know, he you know, the one who invented it hit to him the most important things about Ichimoku were actually time, price, and wave analysis. And he's basing those, all he's using those tools all as ways to understand and interpret the price action. Mm-hmm. So he himself was highly focused and highly interested in understanding and studying price action. And his 30 years of study was, you know, culminated in the Ichimoku cloud, but that's his way of interpreting price section. So in reality, Ichimoku and price section go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, he, so he had some interesting theories that price section does move in certain time segments. It does move in certain waves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and there are ways to forecast future prices. So hit, you know, his Ichimoku is really just an attempt to interpret his theories of price action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same thing with the Kumo itself. The Kumo is saying, look, support and resistance levels are not a single line in the sand. They're several layers deep mm-hmm. and they're dynamic and evolving. And so, you know, if you really understand it, that's just a unique way of understanding price action, particularly how it relates to support and resistance levels. Or more translated, more loosely translated, be order flow and how it relates to key levels where there are order clusters. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, this might be an odd question, but since it did originate in Japan, do you find that the Japanese yen pairs are more uh, follow the cloud or the um, Ichimoku better? Yes. Yeah. Um, because if if you were to go into a Japanese, you know, trading desk, if you were to go to any of the major banks over there, mm-hmm. you would find their screens are just littered with the Ichimoku cloud. Ah. Uh. Over in the Western banks, you won't see it that much. Mm-hmm. You know, you may get a specialist or something like that, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So, and you got to remember, they are actively trading yen pairs and taking large positions on it. A lot of them because they have to for their clients. Mm-hmm. 
You know, they're you got to remember trading. A lot of people seem to think that bank traders are just looking at charts like we retail traders are, and they're saying, "Hey, I have a system set up. I'm just going to pull the trigger here." Now, a lot of what they're doing is actually filling client orders. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a client from say a fund comes in and says, "I need 300 million, you know, dollar yen." You know, okay, fine. You know, I need you to short it at this price. They're then at that point saying, "Okay, how do I take this client's order, make money off that, and also make money on the movement from here on out?" Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they understand that if they don't take the client orders, they're just going to take their business to somebody else, and then the, their bank won't make the fees, and they, as a trader, won't make the fees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that being said, since they have a lot of trading and positions being taken around the yen, absolutely. They're using it and they're making decisions based on it. There's also a reason why some of the yen pairs are some of the more difficult ones to trade. It's because a huge majority of the Western world is using traditional Western indicators to trade the yen pairs mm -hmm. when the people who are trading the yen the most are using the Ichimoku cloud. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a reason for that. In fact, I think I think we there was you know some studies at certain points that showed that if people just stop trading dollar yen, yeah. their accounts would increase by like ten to fifteen percent a year on average. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that definitely. <laughs> um, do you trade any, or I mean, do you only trade discretionary methods, or do you have some automated systems as well? I have what are called white box, so they're rule brace methods, but they're not automated. Mm -hmm. So we have rule checklists for all our setups. And so it's at this point, it's kind of like, okay, this potential setup is forming. Does it meet the checklist of A, B, and C? So it's rule-based, but it's actual a discretion of the trader to pull the trigger at that point. Oh, I see. Okay, cool. Um, do you have a few core strategies, or are you always in the lab trying to d develop new things? Well, I'm trading the same systems, mm -hmm. you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. But as... Trading is an evolutionary process. Any skill-based endeavor is an evolutionary process. The market's evolving. It's changing in real time. It's changing as the you know the structure changes, the participant changes. HFTs have had a huge impact on it. Regulations have a huge impact on it. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, the market is always in flux. And therefore, you know we have to be evolving in trading. So as I notice new patterns in the market that show up as the market changes, mm -hmm. then I will try and study them, quantify them, you know, identify them, isolate them, and then figure out if I can incorporate that new strategy in. So yes, I am adding new strategies. It's not that I'm actively looking to build new strategies per se. Mm -hmm. It's more of I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse of the market and when I feel the market is starting to change in certain dynamics, then I try and isolate the variables and the patterns that are represented in those changes and then at that point I try and say okay how can I build this or add to incorporate this method this pattern into my trading oh, I see okay very cool um, now I want to get to education a little bit uh, so in 2007 I guess you started teaching with Second Skies or you started Second Skies and uh, started teaching uh, what prompted you to want to teach people how to trade when I was working for the hedge fund part of the things we some of us had to do is teach the trainees mm -hmm. and so I was responsible for some of the training of the trainees and on the side I would start to doing once a week kind of webinars with them where I would share market analysis key levels positions that I'd be looking to take and when I left the hedge fund they still wanted to continue with that so that evolved 
And as that evolved, they started saying, hey, we'd like to learn more. And I also felt like, well, instead of giving piecemeal lessons once a week at how I look the market, why don't I you know, start building a training program on this? So it was kind of, it just evolved kind of um, without any intention. It just started to grow. Mm-hmm. And eventually I said, well, if this continues to grow, I'm going to have to build a business around this because this is becoming quite consuming of you know, my time and everything. And so, and they seemed to want it. And so I built it. And from there, it just grew and evolved into, you know, these new incarnations. And honestly, I, I, when I first designed it, I hadn't anticipated that it would get this big or be like this. And so it's just, it's, it's become an animal much larger than I intended it to be. And now I have to feed this big beast. So (laughs) I see. Um, so what are some of the common traits that you see in successful traders? Mindset, discipline, Mm -hmm. um, passion, you know, they're, they have the di- they're clearly passionate about it they're beyond that level of interested so i recently wrote an article about what is the difference between being passionate and being interested mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people come to the market and i think they find out they're interested and they're attracted to it but when it comes to do the real work they end up not doing that and there's a reason for that and so somebody who's passionate about trading they have a passion for the process mm-hmm. and they have a passion to deal with the challenges and the obstacles. So when those difficult moments come, they're able to break through those obstacles and not let their emotions define their experience. Mm-hmm. They understand that they're going to have setbacks, they're going to have challenges, and they have a passion for the process. Mm-hmm. And that shows more particularly in the challenging moments. But it also shows in their work ethic and their diligence in terms of really trying to learn this. Mm-hmm. Whereas if somebody's interested, they'll do it while things are going well, but when things are not going well, they won't do those extra things. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being a huge difference and a separator between someone who ends up making it and someone who doesn't. So if somebody is interested and then they find they run into those obstacles, they will skip a lot of the little details mm-hmm. when the difficult moments come. Mm-hmm. Can that change? Absolutely. You know, you can change somebody's level of passion from interested to passionate. And somebody can be passionate, but then things can change in their life where they just become interested. So it really depends on where they're at. But the key, I guess you can say variable, mm-hmm. that I find is most successful or is most common among successful students is that mindset. Mm-hmm. Learning systems is not difficult. You know, most of the people that come to this market are intelligent enough to learn systems. Mm-hmm. Most people can grasp the ideas behind risk management. And so if they have the mindset, then they generally have the discipline and the passion behind to do all the things that are necessary. So, you know, the good thing is, is that if somebody doesn't have that now, they can learn those things. Those are things that can be taught. They can be inspired. They can be built. And so, you know, it's not so much of a question of where they are now. It's a question of what will they do in the future to change mm-hmm. their growth and progress. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. So beyond just the mindset, is there something else that has been particularly hard to teach? No, not at all. No. Um, okay. I, you know, I've, we've just crossed a barrier of about 1,500 students. Mm-hmm. We, have, you know, we have 1,000 students in our price section course, which is our most popular one. And you know, the things that I find that are hardest to teach people, the systems are not hard to teach, especially if you have if somebody really understands a system, then they should be able to explain it simply. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
understanding is one thing, but a, a, a working mastery of something is a different thing. And you can tell when somebody has a working mastery of something because they can explain it simply. And so, you know, explaining systems and sharing them, and those are not difficult to teach people. Mm-hmm. But the mindset of being a professional trader or of being a professional anything tends to be the hardest thing to teach people. I see. Okay. I'm kind of interested about uh, some of your students. Maybe you could tell us about your most successful student. Um, Was it apparent that he or she was going to be successful from the beginning? And what's the biggest thing that you think made them successful? You know, I have a, a wide range of that in the sense of I have some students who from the very beginning, I thought, well, it's, this is going to take some work. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are other students that had certain experiences, which I felt like, okay, they have a lot in place that could help accelerate the process. Mm-hmm. You know, people who were, say, former athletes or martial artists or musicians, these are people that had gone through something in their life where they had to learn a skill that takes time to learn. Mm-hmm. And they understood that learning any skill is a process. You don't just pick up a guitar and six months later, you know, you're just jamming away like, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you are a prodigy, that's not going to happen. It's going to take time. It's mm-hmm. a process. And they understood that it is a process and they have to work through certain things and build skills to play well. And so it's, you know, people in martial arts have that. Athletes that have played for long periods of time generally have that. Anybody who's gone through a skill-based endeavor tends to have that. So I had one student who already had a lot of experience as that as a semi-pro golfer. Mm -hmm. So they understood what it takes to perform at a high level. And so they were able to take that experience from golf and translate it into trading. And that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of that, you know, they understood in golf there's certain things you just have to do. (laughs) And so they understood, okay, in trading there are certain things I just have to do. And so they just did it. So, you know, there, I've had a lot of surprises, mm-hmm. and I've also had a lot of people who I thought, okay, they have a lot of material in place to do this, you know, and to grow fast in this. So, it's uh, quite a range across the board. Uh, I see. Okay. Interesting. Um, so, you talk about getting the discipline from sports and stuff like that. Um, you're obviously heavily involved in yoga and meditation. How have these activities improved your trading? Well, I was doing yoga and meditation before I started trading, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people have asked me when I look back. You know, they want to say, "What was your edge? What was that one thing you did differently?" Well, I did yoga and meditation every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, so anywhere from an hour and a half to four hours a day. So, if you think about it, trading is not just pure mind; it's it's also a physical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we experience hormones, we experience the fight or flight response, we experience emotions, which are not just experienced in our mind, they are tangible, contextual experiences in our body. Mm-hmm. And so what was I doing from day one? I was through yoga and meditation teaching my body and my nervous system to relax. I was teaching through yoga to become a lot more sensitive to my body. So if I did get into that fight or flight response, I'd be aware of it quicker mm-hmm. and be able to relax my body. Through meditation, I was able to create a greater level of awareness of my thoughts, my mind, how that worked and create a certain sense of spaciousness so that I could allow those things to come through mm-hmm. and not 
change the way I behaved or acted. So that was all being done from day one. And that book also highlights the hour between the dog and the wolf, highlights that how important it is for traders to not just have really well-trained minds, but also to have really well-trained bodies because it is a physical experience. And a lot of times those traders, you know, professional traders on these desks, they have physical experiences that communicate information to their nervous system before they actually consciously know it. And that will tell them, hey, wake up. There's something really you know, important happening here. There's a big pattern happening here. Or there's, watch out, this is danger. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you think about it, I was tuning the two mechanisms that were most important to trading every single day for an hour and a half to four hours a day. So in terms of how is important, you know, I don't know if it can be quantified. It's it's just a tremendous difference than somebody who just comes to the trade station, their computer in the morning with no pregame warm up, with nothing to calm their mind, to relax their body and their breathing and their nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, generally when people come to the market without any pregame warm up, they're not traders; they're philanthropists because they're just donating their money to the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, though, to me, those are trader philanthropists. They're not traders. You're more than likely you're just going to be someone who donates the money to the market, and so I, I don't, I, I can't imagine my trading experience without yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a complete, it would be, it would be an uphill battle that would be, you know, it would be like climbing Mount Everest without any gear. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty big case for doing yoga and meditation. So if anybody's interested who's listening, are there some uh, resources you can point them to? Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, it, if, if somebody wants to do yoga, I'd recommend going to several studios, taking a few different classes so you get a wide variety of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to really practice yoga, of course, is at a studio. If you want to do DVDs, you know, Amazon has a list of DVDs mm-hmm. that are out there, but I always recommend going to uh, an actual studio. And the key to that is, you know, A, how do you feel after the class? And B, how well do you enjoy the teacher? If they're both good, then I would say stick with that. Mm-hmm. In terms of meditation, there's probably a lot less meditation classes available than there are yoga. So there are certain books that you could do that kind of give some guide, you know, general guides to meditation. There are some online videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would recommend if they can, going to a meditation center, of course. But if not, I could probably send you a list of books and links to those books that I would recommend. Okay, yeah, that would be great. And I'll stick that into the, uh, the show notes. Um, switching gears a little bit, you're also involved in philanthropy. Uh, can you tell us what kind of causes you believe in, and are there any specific organizations that you support? Yes. Um, for me, my main focus in philanthropy is kind of two or threefold. So in third world countries, they generally need resources, first and foremost, whereas in second world countries, they generally have some basic resources, but they need education. You know, so first is resources to survive, and then second is education to help give them more options, to give them more uh, ways to kind of make decisions in the world. And so through third world countries, I spend a lot of my time donating resources and information, or mostly financial resources and getting involved in projects to help them supply the resources that they need, like water, clean water is huge. Mm-hmm. And for every 20 seconds in the world, a children dies because of 
not having clean water. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's huge. You know, so yeah. I try and use my abundance and my re- financial resources to help combat that. And so there's several ways you can do that. Lifesaver bottle, they've developed a technology where you can filter, you know, you can take a, this bottle that filters out 99.99% of all pollutants mm-hmm. in any sort of water source. And so they can just take a, a water, a, a river that's got dirty water and it put the bottle in and it'll filter out 99.99% of all that and create clean drinking water for people. Wow. So that's huge. Yeah. And there's, there's several of them that. And so I actually have a link on my site. I have a philanthropy page for that. Um, that they can go to see that. So that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of education, you know, Vitana.org is great. Kiva is also great for that, for mm-hmm. providing microloans. Um, Vitana is specifically focused on education, whereas Kiva is multifaceted. So there's a lot of things with that. Uh, the Access Program is a scholarship program that allows people in second world countries to get funding to learn English as a second language. Mm-hmm. In Latin America, the studies show that if somebody learns English, their upward mobility increases by 71%. Wow. And that's huge. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully I can provide that opportunity through them and give them the funding they need to get the education to help them. So there's a lot of projects like that. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Um, are there any other personal projects that you might be working on? Yeah. So one of them is because mindset is so huge. Uh, in terms of a trader's success or failure, mm-hmm. I, I've decided that it's time to build a training program to help accelerate their growth in, a, in the trading mindset aspect. So we're building an advanced trader's mindset course mm-hmm. that's designed to give them exercises and tools and techniques and ways to change how they relate to trading so that they can reorient the compass of their mind so that it's geared towards success and mm-hmm. not towards you know, inconsistency and failure. Mm-hmm. And so we're building that. I'm also working with the neuroscience lab that's actually built this really cool device that can monitor brain performance, particularly these neurological patterns and algorithms in the brain. So right before a trade, during a trade, and after a trade, they can monitor the neural activity. Now, if we can isolate those algorithms for expert traders, then we can identify conditions that we can create for beginning traders to help change their brain or their neural activity and brain harmonics so that they put themselves effectively in the zone. Mm -hmm. And so they've tested this device on other skill-based endeavors like archery, uh, rifle or like sniper shooting. They've done it on golf and they've been able to increase performance by 230%. Wow. Within a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. So in about a couple of weeks, we're going to the U.S. and we're going to be testing on a couple of traders. I'm trying to uh, get a couple other trading desks to see if they'll test it, on, test it on their trading desks. Once we have enough sample data, and if the data is conclusive, then we'll start you know, testing this on novices mm-hmm. to see how if we can do it. And if we can, then I'd like to create an entire training program built around that. Wow. That's really exciting. Super exciting. I mean, imagine if imagine if a beginning trader could just put on a headset and then through some basic exercises in a short period of time put themselves in the zone. How many better decisions would they be making in real time? You know, how many decisions would they make that would not be influenced by emotion? Or how many times would they know, shoot, I am not in the zone right now. I better not pull that trigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
you know, it would be it would be huge in terms of accelerating the learning process for traders. So to me, this is a quite a you know revolutionary way to approach the learning process and to accelerate that learning process for traders. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, well, we're coming up on about forty minutes, and I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, so I just want to wrap it up. Do you have any last words for aspiring traders listening to this podcast? Yeah, there is no. If you really want to do this, there is no quit. Mm -hmm. You know, you you want to keep at this, not just for the financial rewards that are involved in that, but for your own personal growth. Because there is a wisdom waiting for you, and a confidence waiting for you on the other side of this process. Mm -hmm. And so, going through that process can be something that rewards you for the rest of your life, not just financially but personally as well. And it can change the way you think about things, the way you approach the world, and the way you relate to life. I think one of the great things about trading is it's an opportunity for us to, through the mirror of trading, discover things about ourselves and change these things so that we don't just become professionals at trading, we become professionals at life. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many things in life that, in real life, that require us to take risks, to understand risks, to say, you know what, I'm going to boldly leap and take on this risk in my life because I realize that the rewards are far more powerful than the risk of not taking this. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Jordan once said, and it's a brilliant insight, he said, you will miss every shot that you never take. <laughs> yeah. and, and to me, that's a wisdom that's not just about trading, it's about life. And so there is wisdom to be gained through trading and that's something that can empower us for the rest of our lives. And so, if anything, if you really want to do this, you have to keep going forward because what's waiting for you on the other side is far more beneficial than turning back. Mm. Some great uh, some great inspirational words, definitely. Um, so, if people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they go? They can, uh, my website, secondskiesforex.com. Mm-hmm. That would be the best way to do it. I also have all my social media connections that they can uh, follow me through there. Mm-hmm. You know, we write free daily articles, weekly articles on the market, analyzing the market, also articles about how you can develop and grow and accelerate your learning process as a trader. So that's where we also have all our training. So secondskiesforex.com, our website is the best way to do that. Okay. And you mentioned that you want to offer a, um, a discount to anybody listening to this podcast. Yeah. So I would say for the next 30 days, anybody listening to this podcast, uh, if they want to sign up for one of our training courses that sounds interesting to them, mm-hmm. you can get a $50 discount. Just mention that you heard the podcast uh, through uh, Trading Heroes, and I'll be happy to offer anybody a $50 discount to that. So Awesome. Thank you very much. I mean, that's uh, very generous of you. Fantastic. Well, any... Uh, any last questions there? It was, a, it was a great interview thus far, and I appreciate taking that opportunity. Ironically, one of my students you actually interviewed not too long ago. Oh, yeah? Who was that? Uh, his name is Haji. Oh, he's really? Haji Wart. Yeah. He, yeah. Was, he, he actually became, ironically, one of my students after, uh, after shortly after uh, doing the interview with you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I've been, you know, we've been working with him and uh, helping him with certain things. And so, yeah, it's been a, a great experience working with him as well. Yeah, that guy put in a lot of time, and he um, he's definitely, you know, learning and progressing and learning different techniques. So, I think he's amazing. Yeah, and and I see that in his study of our material as well. You know, you mm-hmm. can see that time and effort he's putting into it, and it's paying dividends. 
And so, you know, like all things, you know, generally output equals input, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a whole in most things in life. If you go to the gym one day a week, that's going to be different from, from somebody going to the gym five days a week. Yeah. So as a whole, output equals input, and he's putting a lot into it, and therefore he's getting a lot out of it. The only time output does not equal input is if you're putting a ton of information in, but you're not getting the results you want, mm-hmm. then 99.9% of the time, it has to do with your mind. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's not just in trading, that's in life. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you're, if you're putting a lot into something, but you're not getting the results out of it, 99.9% of the time, it has to do with your mind and the quality of your mind. And so... That's you know that's the power of yoga and meditation is because it enhances and changes the quality of your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's thousands of studies showing that doing meditation could reduce emotions in the sense of we don't get dominated by them so much. Uh, they've been tests on certain monks that have shown 900% increases in neural activity just from doing meditation. It's you know increases creativity, performance, memory, uh, attention, problem solving, focus. Mm-hmm. You know, try and tell me that those things aren't important during trading. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Very true. Yeah, so we'll definitely put in those links to uh, to those meditation and uh, yoga re- resources. But thanks again, Chris. I really do appreciate it. This was a great interview, and I uh, wish you well. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the interview. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I want to thank Chris again for taking the time out to provide some excellent information. If you want to hear the other episodes of this podcast, you can go to tradingheroes.com forward slash podcast and you'll have access to all of the episodes. Thanks again for listening and I hope your trading is going well.